Welcome to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Behold Israel provides biblical teachings through its tours, speaking events, and social media. It's also a reliable and accurate source for developments in Israel and the region. Amir's live updates and teachings are based on God's written word. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app, available on Android and Apple, under Behold Israel. Shalom, everybody. This is going to be a very short message. I am not even trying to go to the depth of the problem of the Jews with the cross uh, because it's, it's going to be as long as, I guess, the um, entire history of the last 2,000 years. But I will try to touch three major topics. The problem of the first century Jews with the cross, the problem of the Jews in general with the message of the cross, and the problems of the Jews with the bearers of the cross. First of all, I'd like to start with Luke chapter 24. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things, can you say that? All things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. In other words, Jesus didn't have to open the scriptures because the scriptures were there. He opened their understanding so they can understand the already written scriptures that were there, read to them every Shabbat. Then he said to them, thus it is written. And listen to me. This is the resurrected Jesus who already is about to depart and leave the band of disciples alone so the book of Acts will begin. And this is Jesus who is telling them, who understands that they've got a problem with the concept of the suffering Messiah. And he says, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, it's not something that could have been done differently. It's not a circumstance that could have been different. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. The suffering of the Messiah was necessary. Do you understand what he's telling them? He's basically telling them, you are not watching plan B. This has been determined. It was necessary for Christ to suffer and then to rise from the dead and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem and your witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. He says to the disciples, listen, I want you to stay here. Stay here in Jerusalem until you are endowed with power from on high. So Jesus is clearly telling the disciples the crucifixion, which by the way was the most terrible death penalty that was there in the Roman period. You, you have to understand that people on the cross wished they were dead. The cross was a long torture. But Jesus said, look, don't think this is plan B. Don't think it could have been different. It actually was necessary. And if you remember the verse before, he said, all things must be fulfilled. 
So I want to take you through eight points of how the crucifixion was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And then we're going to look into the three main questions we talked about. First of all, the prophecy from Isaiah 53 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if we were, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And of course, in John 1, 10 to 11, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, to his own, to the Jewish people and his own did not receive him or receive him not. So when the prophecy of Isaiah was definitely fulfilled even as he first came and started his ministry. Psalm 41.9 says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. And of course, in Mark 14, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. And if you remember, Jesus in the Last Supper knew, and he said, To whom? I have given the bread after I dipped it. He is the person that will betray me. The bread, that which Psalm 41 speaks of, who ate my bread, it was Judas. Zechariah 11:12 says, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, if it and if not, refrain. So they waged out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Interestingly enough, Matthew 26, during that crucifixion scene, that one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest, and then he said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. It could have been 50, but it was 30, because it was Use the word necessary. It was necessary. All things must be fulfilled. Number four, Bible prophecy says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his cheers in silence, so he opened not his mouth. And the fulfillment, of course, in Mark 15, 5. But Jesus still answered nothing, so Pilate marveled as a lamb to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. Five, Bible prophecy says in Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? And the Matthew 27, the fulfillment is, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out and loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, which is my God, my God. Lama sabachthani, which means, why have you forsaken me? That is my God and God, why have you forsaken me, of course. Number six, Psalm 22, verses seven and eight says, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him rescue him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. What a mockery. And then of course, Matthew 27, likewise the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. By the way, trust me, even if he went down from the cross, they wouldn't have believed him. He, and then of course, he trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Not interesting. Almost word by word, 
the words of the prophecy in the old was fulfilled in the new. Number seven, Psalm 22:15 says, my strength is dried up like potsherd and my tongue cling to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. In Matthew 27 and 48, immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Psalm 22, 17 to 18, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. What a, an amazing prophecy in the psalm. And John 19, 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garment and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. And now the tunic was without seeing woven from the top in one piece. So you understand that there is nothing in the story of the crucifixion of Jesus that is out of the control of God. That is something that God lost control, God needed plan B, Jesus could have had some better, better solution. I mean, it was a one big mistake and we we're paying for it all. You know what the one big mistake is? What is the one big mistake that we're paying for it up until today, in a way? It is not the crucifixion. The crucifixion was necessary. The one big mistake is in Genesis chapter 3. That's the one big mistake. And from Genesis chapter 3, it was necessary for him to do that. Now, what is the cross and who started using it? It's very interesting that uh, while accounts of crucifixions are recorded by several ancient civilizations and cultures, some say that the Persians are the most often credited by historians in having invented that practice. The oldest record uh, comes from Herodotus, who noted that Darius crucified 3,000 inhabitants of Babylon. Honestly, I thought it was Alexander the Great, but after I read so much on it, I realized it's even before that. So originating in Persia, crucifixion then spread to the Assyrians, Scythians, Tyrrhenians, Thracians, and the people of India, Germans, Celts, Britons, Numidians, and of course, Carthaginians of Carthage. The Greeks and the Macedonians are also believed to have learned the practice of crucifixion from the Persians. That's what I thought. I always thought Alexander the Great started, but of course I realized he actually learned it from the Persians. The Roman philosopher Seneca, who lived from 4 BC to 65 AD, he wrote this, can anyone be found who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, or letting out his life drop by drop, rather than expiring once for all? In other words, don't you prefer to die at once over horrific slow death? Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly wheels on shoulders and chest and drawing the breath of life amid long drawn out agony, he would have many excuses for dying even before mounting the cross. Listen, crucifixion is not just the actual hanging on. It started with something else. They used to flagellate you. They used to beat you up. Then they used to tie some beam behind your neck and tie your hands all around it. And then they would lead you to a place where they will nail that beam and your feet and your hands to a standing tree at that time. Ancient Greeks would secure their victims to a flat board sometimes only to shame and punish them. 
while fastened to wooden planks for a period of time, they endured torture. Later, victims would be released or executed in another manner. But Plato made reference to the Greeks employing death by crucifixion as a form of capital punishment. History affirms that crucifixion became common under the rule of Alexander the Great, who executed 2,000 tyrants after conquering their city, the city of Tyre in Lebanon today. The crucifixion by the Romans, who most likely adopted crucifixion from the Carthaginians, from Carthago, the practice increased in both extent and severity during the Roman Empire. Crucifixion was primarily reserved, look, to who? To what? Traitors, dis deserters, foreigners, despised enemies, captive armies, slaves, and the most violent offenders and those guilty of high treason. Think about it. The Roman form of crucifixion was not employed in the Old Testament by Jewish people. Not at all. As they saw crucifixion as one of the most horrific or horrible cursed forms of death. How do I know that? Because Deuteronomy is even mentioning. Deuteronomy 21 says, If a man has committed a sin deserving death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree. But you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is accursed of God. So, in the mindset of the Jewish people, the blessed Messiah, the anointed one, can he ever be a fulfillment or part of what Deuteronomy 21, can you put Deuteronomy 21 about the Jewish problem with the cross? Put Deuteronomy, look at this. That's the verse. I mean, think about it. If the law is talking about someone on a tree as a curse, would it even occur? Would it even come to the mind of a Jew that the Messiah, the King, will have to be going through such a thing? Of course not. I mean, I'm thinking about the disciples during that time, seeing the one who committed no sin ever in his life, the one most humble, most generous, most tender, most loving, most amazing they've ever seen in their own life, hanging on the tree like the last murderer, thief, traitor, or accursed of God. They wouldn't even start to understand that. This is why Jesus, when we started this message, Jesus had to say, listen guys, I understand. Look, I'm, a, I'm alive. I'm resurrected. But you need to understand something. It was necessary. All things must be fulfilled. So the Jewish problem with the cross begins with Deuteronomy 21. For them, the understanding that the Messiah will be on a cross, which is a standing stem of tree to which adjust, attached a beam in a, in a shape of a cross, it is, it, they cannot understand that. In Matthew 16, 13 to 23, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John and the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And, 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 and you understand, Peter never went to any Bible school, Bible college, not a rabbi, nothing. He's actually a very uneducated Jew. 
And Peter is the first one to jump and say, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He probably was thinking, what have I just said? I'm, and, and Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You never, don't worry. I know you feel weird because you never learned that. Nobody ever taught you that. Obviously, no one teaches that, that the Son of God can be a man, that can come in as a, God can come as a, as, as a, a man in the flesh. But, but you're right, so you're blessed. This is my Father which is in heaven that revealed that to you. And I also say to you that you are Petros. You are a small rock. On this rock, and he's showing him Caesarea Philippi, the big rock over there, Petra, I will build. This is where they used to worship all the other pagan gods. He says, on this pagan world, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's it. My church does not belong to Hades. They're not going to be in Hades. They're not going to enter into Hades. They're not going to await the judgment of the world over there. That's it. It's over. Matthew 16. And I will give you the keys. And then he goes on. And isn't that interesting? From that time, verse 21, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he what? What? Jesus began... 13 to 23, Jesus began to show to his disciples that, that, no, I'm talking about verse 21. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he, what? Must. Say that again. Say that louder. He must. It's not he may, maybe, could be, possibly. He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer things from the elders and the chief of priests and scribes. He must be killed. He must be raised the third day. So, so here it is, Jesus. He was just acknowledged by Peter to be the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter thinks, oh, <laughs> I know, I'm, you know, God spoke to me directly. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, me and God are. And Peter is like, okay, guys, I'm the chief apostle. You want to talk to him? Through me. And so, okay, uh, Jesus, you can talk. Go ahead. So Jesus is not standing there and says, I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I'm going to sit on the throne of David. And Peter, you're my deputy. You're to... He didn't say that. He said, just, just so you know, yes, I'm the son of the living God. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And I'm going to be delivered into the hands of the scribes and the Romans. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And I'm going to be buried. And, uh, and Peter is like, what? And then, then he, he, Peter took Jesus aside and says, you cannot talk like that. Peter rebuked Jesus. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? A second ago, he acknowledged that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He is now taking the Son of the living God. He's taking God in the flesh. He's rebuking God. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. This type of death is for who? Traitors, murderers. Curse is hanged on the tree. That's not for you. You're the Messiah. You're the king. Stay here. We'll take care of you. <laughs> By the way, that was the mindset of the Jewish people in those days. God, we're going to help you. So God said, no, no, no. I'm going to help you. No, 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 no. We will help you. <laughs> Stay there. We'll help you. I can prove it to you. When you come to Israel to Capernaum, there's a synagogue. And the synagogue is built the other way around. In other words, the entrance is in the wrong place. 
And when you ask, well, you didn't know where Jerusalem is. How come the synagogue faces the opposite? They say, no, 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 the synagogue is facing Jerusalem. It's just that the door is in the wrong place. So, so, but the door has to be on one place, and then the direction of the prayer, exactly opposite. Said, so, no, we had to build it this way, because if the door would be towards the mountains, and the gods of the Gentiles are on the mountains, they might sneak into the synagogue. Stay there, we'll protect you. We're going to turn the synagogue around and nobody can enter and harm you. You see, when people think that they help God and God comes and extends help to them, that's why Capernaum was likened to Sodom and Gomorrah. And, 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 and it says that if Sodom and Gomorrah would have heard or would have seen the things that I did here in Capernaum, they would have believed. So Peter, in the way he reacted to what Jesus just said, exposed the entire Jewish embarrassment with the cross. He exposed the fact that the Jewish mindset cannot fathom the fact that God and his messenger, his anointed one, let's say now I even acknowledge he's the son of God, he cannot fathom the fact that the Messiah can ever be hanging on a tree. So how did Peter deal with that? He took Jesus and rebuked him. And what did Jesus answer? Get behind me. What? And Peter said, oh, you just called me. Blessed, uh, I heard from God, we're friends. Satan? Yes, because only Satan doesn't want me to die. Only Satan doesn't want me to fulfill the necessary things. Only Satan wants me to bail out of this mission. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus basically said, the things of God are that I have to suffer, I have to be crucified, and I have to be dead first. How can someone resurrect unless he's dead first? The things of man is that Messiah should not even come for all of this. He should just sit on the throne and rule, defeat the enemies, bring peace and prosperity, and that's it. Right here, you see. And if that's not enough, the next time, the next chapter, Jesus takes him to the Mount of the Transfiguration, of course. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> Peter was like... Wow, look at this. I'm next to Elijah, Moses, Jesus. I'm back in the game. Yeah, baby. Let's build for you uh, huts. And uh, Jesus said, no. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And the suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. In other words, Peter, keep quiet. <laughs> Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and they were greatly afraid. This is what I call Emmanuel moment. God is with us. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And then when, had lifted up, when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. But Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is there. And now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is what? Risen from the dead. He said, Guys... I have to die. And until I'm dead, 
you're not telling anyone about this. Because if you tell people now, guess what? They're going to put me on their shoulders and bring me to Jerusalem to reign because they will not understand that I'm not supposed to reign first before I have to offer the ultimate sacrifice for all of you. Hmm. Acts 5, 29-30, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on the tree. See, they always keep going back to hanging on a tree because they and this was a traumatic experience for them. Romans 9.33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. You're going to be offended by me hanging on the tree. And whosoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So now we understand first that uh, the Jewish people in the first century had a problem with the cross itself. It was a shameful thing, completely unrelated to what they know and think about Messiah. They understand it's a horrific thing. They never practice it themselves. It was so bad. But in their wildest dreams, they never thought the Messiah will have to go through that. But if you remember, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, where is the wise where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ, what? Christ crucified. To the Jews, if you're not a believer, if you're still keeping that Jewish man's mindset, it's what? A stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now we understand, folks, that we have a problem here. The people have a problem also with the message. The Jewish people have a problem with the concept that they have a problem and it can only be solved by the death of someone else. Up until today, the Jews believe that it's up to them to fast, to pray, to teach, to sing, all of those things. What do you think Yom Kippur is all about? The Day of Atonement is all about. We're fasting for 25 hours. Yay, we did it. It's all about us. Good deeds, mitzvah, commandment. We do a good deed. We should. And if you cannot fulfill the law, at least God will look at your heart if, if you're trying. Trying is also, it also counts. It's all about do's and don't do's. And it's all about, about themselves. The concept that their salvation is actually not through anything they will ever do is foreign to them. They have a problem not only with the cross as a death penalty, but a problem with the concept of the message of the cross. I preach to you Christ and Him crucified. The Messiah is crucified for you. He died for you. He suffered for you. And by His stripes, you are healed. It's something that they have a problem with. By the way, up until today. It's very interesting because uh, I can tell you that uh, 
I'm going back to Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 8 and Luke chapter 14 and you see a common thread. Let me read it to you. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also in Mark 8, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. By, by the way, that's before Jesus was crucified. <laughs> so he's mentioning something here about cross but he's not talking about dying on the cross. Look what he's saying. Listen to this. When he had called the people, he said, whoever desired to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I, listen, I had a problem with this. Am I supposed to crucify myself and walk with a cross behind Jesus? Is Jesus asking me to be crucified? What's this, what's this request? Luke 14, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What do you mean bear his cross? Then I, I went to, to look at the Greek. I said, I have to find out what is it exactly that Jesus meant when he said those things. Because he's not yet crucified. This is not about this. It's about something else. He's not even talking about his cross. He's talking about my cross. And he's actually saying, if you are not carrying your cross and follow me, then you cannot belong to me. And I was like, what in the world are you talking about? And so I went to Luke 9.23 and I read it in the Greek. And I found out that the word cross is stauron, stauros actually in this way. It's in the third row, one before the end, stauros. New Testament Greek uses four verbs, three of them based upon stauros. Usually translate cross. The most common term is stauro, to crucify, occurring 43 times. Then stauro, to crucify with, then, excuse me, then sustauro is to crucify with or alongside. It occurs five times. And then anastauro, which is to crucify again, occurs only once in the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 6. Prospegnumi is to fix or fasten to imply crucify. It occurs only once in Acts 2.23. The English term cross derives from the Latin word crux. The Latin term crux classically referred to a tree of any construction of wood used to hang criminals as a form of execution. The term later came to refer specifically to a cross. The English term crucifix derives from the Latin crucifixus or crucifixus, past principle, passive, or crucif crucifigere, or crucifigere, meaning to crucify or to fasten to a belt. Now comes the point. I want you to take a look at this. Let's move. Stauros is the cross piece of a Roman cross. It's actually the cross beam. In Latin, it was called patinbul, pa, a patibulum, and it was placed at the top of the vertical member of, to form a capital T. And this transverse beam was the one carried by the criminal beam in Latin patibulum placed at the top of the vertical member to form a capital T. Okay, so, so now we understand that. Now, 
This is what we are talking about. What are you seeing here? You see, that's the word and the term Jesus referred to about yourself. If anyone wants to follow me, let him carry his stauros, which is that beam that is right there. It's heavy, it's uncomfortable, and it's something that is against our flesh, in a sense. Ladies and gentlemen, I was struggling with this. Jesus, what, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, do I need to really, literally, physically, tie myself to a beam like that and just follow you? Of course not. What Jesus meant is, is that you must deny yourself. That's what he said. If anyone wants to follow me, he must what? Deny himself. That's a heavy burden. That's contrary to the mindset of the people and to the flesh of the people. This is a heavy thing to remind to yourself that it's not about you, it's about him. To remind to yourself that there's nothing in you that is all about him. Look, give you an example. In the Bible, it says to the Jewish people on Yom Kippur to afflict their souls. The word fasting is not even mentioned there. Literally, God never asked the Jews to fast on Yom Kippur. He asked them what? To afflict their souls. What is to afflict your soul? To afflict your soul is to understand that it's not about you. It's against your flesh. It's against your will. It's against yourself. It's against your ego. It's not about you. You cannot save yourself. You have no power to save yourself. You have no capacity to save yourself. Your salvation has all to do with what God is doing with Jesus and not with you. You can try to crucify yourself if you want. It won't save you. But if you believe in Him and Him crucified, that He had to be crucified, because the death, the curse of God was hanging on a tree. The death was necessary in order for him to be the perfect atonement and the perfect sacrificial animal. And then you will be saved. And by the way, the Jewish people eventually are going to repent for rejecting Christ and wanting him to be crucified. In fact, both the book of Revelation and the book of John and, of course, Zechariah speaks of those who have pierced him. In John 1, 7, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn. This actually, I think it's Revelation 1, 7. So will mourn because of him, even so, amen. In Zechariah 12, Barry, can you do me a favor, Barry? This verse, I'm, I think I had it wrong in John 1, 7. Zechariah 12, 10, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they pierced, Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. The Jewish people upon the return of Jesus back on earth at the end of the tribulation will repent, will mourn, will cry when they see him whom they have pierced. And in the last four minutes that is left for us, 
I will tell you that today, most of the problems of the Jews is actually not with the message or with the actual crucifixion. Most of the problem of the Jews today is with what the cross was used for and those who were bearing it along the history. I'm talking about the Byzantines and the Crusaders and those who performed pogroms in the Jews and the Nazis, the white supremacists. All of these people are using crosses. They're all wearing crosses. They're all in the name of the cross doing terrible atrocities. I can tell you that when the Crusaders, those Catholic knights from Western Europe, predominantly from France in the very beginning, when they came across Europe, they killed most of the Jews in Germany, at least 10,000 of them, on their way to the Holy Land, and upon entrance into the Holy Land, as they entered Jerusalem, and at that time Jews and Muslims lived in peace in Jerusalem. Muslims controlled, but Jews were there. They locked all the Jews in the synagogue in Jerusalem and burned it alive, burned, burned them alive while raising their crosses high and saying, to you, Christ, we bring all glory. Thousands of Jews are being, buried, are being burned alive. Crosses are being used to be raised and Christ is being supposedly praised for all of this. The same thing, by the way, was done to Muslims, and this is why throughout the last 20 years, Osama bin Laden, when he was still alive, and then, of course, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, when he was still alive, they never called Christians Christians. They called Christians crusaders. Because they want to remind you how cruel you are and how much you, the crusaders, butchered us in the name of your cross and in the name of your Christ. The Nazis had crosses all over their, um, their um, um, uniforms. And may I say, in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew language, swastika is called slav keres, a cross with a hook. In other words, the word cross is to describe swastika. That's how much cross, beyond being a terrible death penalty, beyond being a message they have a hard time to comprehend with, the cross itself was used by so many terrible people that the Jewish people has a problem with it. And of course, white supremacists and all of that. John 16 says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus, Jesus said they're gonna do things in the name of Jesus. Godly things, but they don't even know the Father. They don't know even me. They'll take you out of the synagogue. They'll butcher you, they'll kill you altogether. And the last thing I will tell you before we're done, do not turn the shadow into substance. The cross is a message. The cross is the message that God gave his only begotten son to first die for us and then to defeat death to give us eternal life. The price for our salvation has been fully paid on the cross. The cross is a message. And unfortunately, it has become today a lucky charm. It has become today a symbol that we are willing to kill for as a symbol. We took the message and we turned it into a symbol. We took the shadow and we turned it into the substance. By the way, the Jews are the same. God told them to keep his word and gave him an illustration. Keep my word between your eyes. Keep my word on your arms. Keep my word when you go in and you come out. 
What do they do? They prepare boxes, put it here, another box and put it here, another box that put it on the, on the side doors. They took the message in the shadow and turned it to a substance. It's a very slippery slope, I would say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command to you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a, as a sign on your hand that they shall be as a frontal between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. And they literally did that. And it becomes a idol for them. When they walk in, they have to kiss it. When they walk out, they have to kiss it. They have to kiss, they have to kiss, they have to kiss, they have to kiss. It's all about these things. Is the cross a lucky charm or a message to you Christians? Let's not forget the message of the cross. It is still a stumbling block, but now you at least understand the mindset of the Jews the history that followed it and the disdain that they have from what used to be a message and turned into an idol. Father, we thank you for the plan that you have for Israel. For now, the message of the cross and the cross are an offense to them. And Father, in many ways we contributed to that by turning that cross into an idol and a lucky charm rather than a message of your salvation. And Father, we ask that until you return and they see whom he whom they, whom they pierced, help us to explain the message and not to stumble and be a hindrance to reach the heart of your people. We thank you and we bless you. We pray for the salvation of the Jewish people that as few will only go through that great tribulation. But until then, Father, we know that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We bless your name and we ask it in the name of the Holy One of Israel who unfortunately, because of Genesis 3, had to suffer, had to die, and be buried, because it was necessary. And then, of course, he resurrected on the third day, because death could not keep him there. We thank you for the resurrected Lord, and we thank you for the power of the resurrection that we can all glean from as we walk in the Spirit. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast featuring Amir Sarfati, founder and president of Behold Israel. Connect with Behold Israel on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download our free app available on Android and Apple under Behold Israel. Amir's teachings can be found in multiple languages. You can also visit our website, beholdisrael.org.